It is Tuesday. That means it's time for Mobility Makers, brought to you by Bridgestone. No matter what the next generation of mobility will be, it will be on wheels, and Bridgestone will be there. Bridgestone, solutions for your journey. It does seem that, and we know this all too well in this town, that when the national economy catches a cold uh, or sneezes, uh, the, the auto industry gets the flu, whether it's inflation or maybe a recession, uh, it, the impact seems to be doubled on our most important industry. So where do we stand with the uh, Ukraine crisis and this energy shock that it has created? We turn to our friends at Alex Partners. Uh, John Lohr is the managing director in the automotive and industrial practice uh, section of that August group, and he joins us for Mobility Makers on this Tuesday. John, welcome. Thanks, Guy, for having me on. I've been around a while, and i got to tell you, anytime we've had a big energy shock, it seems that the automakers get caught with their pants around their knees, um, making too many trucks and SUVs, too few uh, fuel-efficient cars. Are we in a better position to weather this energy shock? You know, it seems like we just keep getting hammered with uh, event after event, right? We, we, we have COVID, we have labor, we have chips, and now we've got this energy shock. Uh, you're right that we, we've always been, you know, over time we tend to skew the mix to larger, more profitable vehicles that, that people tend to like better, right? They, I mean, they, we make them because that's what people want to buy and that's what we want to sell. Uh, I would say our, the mix that we have available, though, now is uh, – is probably uh, you know the best mix of, in a way that we've had for people who want fuel efficient vehicles. We have the best fuel efficiency ever. Uh, we have a tremendous amount of investment that's come over time to to launch these electric vehicles, and we're seeing more and more EVs launching. So, if customers want a more fuel efficient vehicle, this is the the best fleet available that they've had to buy. Uh, now, the challenge is they're very expensive, right? The uh, and and the car makers are uh, electrifying from the top end of their fleet because that's where they can best bear the costs of the expensive right. lithium-ion batteries, right? So they, you know, and rather than in the past, we kind of focused on the low end of the fleet to make fuel economy, right? The small cars uh, back in hatchbacks, things like that. Now we're electrifying the high end, uh, more, uh, you know, a bigger engine taken out of the fleet, so more CO2 savings and more price. So the, the strategy to cope with it uh, is, is well attuned to the, uh, you know, the needs of, of selling uh, fuel-efficient vehicles, but uh, th- this is really a struggling time. Right, and, and while there may be a sticker gap, um, I, th- I think that uh, Mary Barra was talking about that the new Equinox is going to come in, and it's going to come in at $30,000, which they consider the sweet spot here, which is about only $3,000 over the gas-powered version. If they can pull that off, by golly, $4 a gallon oil and, and gas is, is, is going to make the cost of operation make the difference up pretty quickly, won't it? It will. It will. You know, it's it's a great topic, this question of what do consumers buy on, right? Do they buy on uh, first cost or do they buy on uh, life cycle cost, right? And uh, I'll confess, as a consultant myself, I've done many, many life cycle cost calculations and say, see, you should pay more up front and you'll save money in the long term. But what, what we find over and over, especially in that mass market that you're talking about, is yeah. it's the first cost world. I, I mean, we did a survey of uh, consumers, and believe it or not, only one in 10 
would pay even 25% more for an EV, right? And we're not, right now the average EV costs something like 35% more than a gas car. So it just really points to the need to, to ruthlessly take cost out of these products through, through all sorts of things, through design changes, through, uh, you know, supplier arrangements, uh, et cetera, because it's, you, you nailed it. You're going to have to be pretty close to the cost of a gas vehicle to get mass yeah. adoption in EVs. So what, what about the rest of the UK, Ukraine um, impacts? Let, let's just take it first from a supplier standpoint, getting the components and parts you need. It only takes one part from one locale to screw up your, your production, as we learned with, with the chips all too well. Um, how much can this further make the – we already know the supply chain is challenging. Will the, the war in Ukraine make it even more so? It's going to it's gonna make it more difficult, uh, as you said. You know, we've got uh, – if you think of some of the major things coming out of, of that region impacted by the conflict, uh, of course, Russia uh, supplies a lot of nickel, which is, which is important for lithium-ion batteries and for stainless steel. So nickel's going to go into everything. Well, it's up to uh, it's up two hundred fifty percent, isn't it? Did, didn't I see yeah, that number yeah. today? They, yeah, and in fact, the uh, the London Metal Exchange shut down nickel trading. It was too volatile, and uh, they're going to let things settle out for a little bit. Uh, it's just it's massive, uh, you know, short squeezes and, and people trying to cover their positions because there's there's yeah. so much hedging and forward buying in these commodity markets. So they said that's it's it's gone haywire. Let's just. Uh, settle it out so you got well that. i saw the graph yeah. and it would give you a nosebleed i mean it was incredible oh, just how much in the past two days that that has taken off so is that going to be disruptive as well it, it will be disruptive now now it's it's unclear because those are forward contracts uh and so the volumes that are traded on those are, are not 100 percent clear and uh, yeah. I wouldn't say that you could just take whatever your nickel content is in the car and multiply it by that number, and that's what you're going to end up paying, because they, these things are laddered out in time. But it, it's going to it's going to take a uh, it, it will find its way into price increases, although probably not at that magnitude. Uh, and then there's aluminum. You know, Russia makes a lot of aluminum. They make palladium for catalytic converters. And even if they don't sell it directly to us in Detroit, they sell it to someone else, and so then that someone else. Uh, uh, you know, needs to buy it from another place. And, and ultimately, it reduces the global supply of these metals, and it's mm-hmm. going to drive up uh, pricing. And so it's going to be an issue. Uh, you know, you, what, what, Ukraine specifically, does they don't make a lot of parts, but they do, you know, they're a low labor cost location, and so they make wiring harnesses. And they make, uh, in Europe, it's a bigger problem for us than in Detroit, but Ukraine makes 7% of the wiring harnesses in, in uh that go into European cars. And so now they've all got to scramble because, you I mean, as you know, you can't sell a car without a wiring harness. What about our European suppliers that will now be faced with what could be drastically higher energy prices? You know, that that is a big issue. And, uh, you know, some of the some uh, components are more energy intensive than others. And then some raw materials are more energy intensive than others, aluminum in particular. So as we start lightweighting all these vehicles, uh, the energy costs of aluminum are significant. Yeah. Uh, it, it's, uh, you know, Europe has made a, a set of long-term decisions to uh, decarbonize their energy generation and to shut down their nuclear. So they're, I mean, of course, everyone knows they're heavily dependent on uh, Russian oil and gas, uh, not just for 
motor fuels, but for uh, heating and electricity generation. So they're, they're going to have to pivot off of that. And I, I, it's, it's going to raise uh, energy costs, uh, likely raise energy costs even more in Europe. John, I've only got a minute left, but does this environment favor the legacy automakers, the Fords, the Stellantis, GM, that can get long-term contracts because of their volume, can get good deals over the Lucids, the Teslas, and others that may be smaller, the startups? Is this going to be a tough environment for the startups? I think it's difficult for the startups in the sense that they need to uh, diversify their supply. And the, what the legacy players have is they have broad reach. They already, right. for the most part, have some global supply chains. So that while it's still a ton of work to move these parts, they have the ability uh, to find new sources and, and to, uh, you know, move those part numbers. Uh, if you don't, if you only have a, if you're single sourced on everything and don't have a lot of options, it's much more difficult for you. It sure is. Challenging times for all. Uh, that's for sure, and it, it starts with, with energy. Uh, John Lohr, thanks so much. We certainly appreciate our, our, our friends at Alex Partners and appreciate your time. Hey, thank you, Guy. Always a pleasure. And when we come back, the reformation of term limits. A politician would actually serve fewer years, would have to give up their income statistics, but is that a step in the right direction? It's next.